Thanks for listening to The Nudge. Any books, films, interviews, or other media that we've mentioned, we've tried to track down and pin on our Discord server for interested parties. If you'd like to join us in conversation, share something you've been prompted to write, or just take a peek at these references, you'll find links to that server on our website, clawfootpress.com. Thanks again. The Nudge. Uh, Kyle, this is Evan. Evan, this is Kyle. Uh, Hi, Evan. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Evan, uh, Kyle is a uh, once upon a time bacon review correspondent who became colleague at Clawfoot Press. Um, and we've been working on a bunch of books and stories together uh, since we met. And we actually got a chance to be together physically for the first time in Chicago over our recent travels. Um, oh, cool. Evan is uh, an old friend and actually cousin to my oldest friend, uh, but we established a sort of parallel friendship that uh, was more a matter of uh, being uh, uh, kin, I guess, uh, intellectual and uh, life kin. Uh, he ended up at my cousin's wedding, uh, <laughs> and uh, has been essentially invited into the family in a in a way. So, um, yeah, friends for a long time. Wonderful. Yeah. We'll have uh, one more join us. Uh, Matt will show up. He typically rolls in uh, maybe five or six minutes after everybody else. So we just say, hey, Matt, and kind of carry on conversing as we would. But uh, just record record the whole thing and edit it when it's all said and done for anything that feels like unnecessary jib jaw of us remembering who we were and mm-hmm. what we were talking about last. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I was wondering about some logistics of, of how it was recorded and you know, whether, how, how the, is there a, a framework to the discussion that you usually follow? Mm-hmm. Or? Not really. <laughs> uh, we're pretty, yeah. That, I mean, I feel like we might over time get a little bit more structure, but uh, especially when we have somebody on the podcast, we kind of um, we we kind of pick a place to start, or we tumble into a a starting point, and uh, and just kind of go off from there, and maybe maybe we have one uh kind of activity on the agenda that we try to get to <laughs> that we may or may not get to you know um so uh and and you know a few talking points and questions are nice but we try to kind of play it by he- ear and uh go with what it what what feels natural um yeah. which uh yeah yeah no, you, usually it works out i'm uh, i'm a uh... I'm excited. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm uh, a little bit nervous. Never been on a podcast before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I've got a few things to say, I think. I'd say at least just a topic uh, of conversation. Good, good. Uh, I'd say just go with the flow. And uh, we, we do our best to act like we're not really on a podcast and we're talking about the things that we like, you know. Yeah, I did. Uh, I really, 
liked. Uh, Eric sent over some of the things that you were thinking about uh, in terms of like, I don't know, how you relate to the podcast and uh, things that you might want to talk about and such. And um, I did, uh, I watched uh, I watched the movie that you guys recommended. Oh yeah, you watched Tim's Vermeer. Tim's Vermeer, watched it last night. It's on Hulu. If anybody wants to get in on that, <laughs> if anybody has Hulu. Um at least right cool. now it is. Who God knows, like you know, with uh, if it'll actually be on there uh, long or whatever. But um, I think I I purchased it on Amazon Prime, like for keeps, maybe a couple right. years ago because I was such a fan. And every every now and then I put it back on and watch it again because I I just find it a, a fun little fun little documentary that uh, kind of. Uh, uh, has this sort of superficial touch into art, but underneath it all is is this really deep question about art, which I, I think is really fun. Eric, uh, what um have you have you seen it, Eric? I watched it last night and I saw it in theaters actually. Hmm. I would ask. I didn't realize it was in theaters. It it did come to theaters. Yeah, it was part of a. In Seattle, they had it as part of a art uh series maybe through sif um but Alyssa was tracking those down at the time and she uh took me and i was absolutely just floored by that movie first time i saw it was amazing second time i saw it i just kind of remembered the pain points while i was uh, that were upcoming and was able to really uh it went much faster of course you know, you you don't have nearly the, um, like like with any movie that you're seeing the second time, you're able to you know glimpse that sort of sub layer. Um, but but I, I I'm curious what uh, what the question, Evan, that you found it drew about art is for you. Oh uh, yeah. Uh well um are, are we waiting for Matt or are we? We go on. We go on. <laughs> so okay. Um, I, well, I do think that maybe if we could provide just like a 30 second summary of this movie for anybody who hasn't yeah. seen it, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll, uh, um, so Tim's Vermeer is a documentary on the shorter side, if uh, that makes it more interesting for anyone, um, about a guy who is he calls himself an inventor. Uh, he's Tinker. kind of like. Yeah, he's a tinker. He he is a man who got into uh like video technology and has made some money through a company and so has like a good amount of time and resources uh it seems to to be a tinkerer and and an inventor and uh he's kind of got on this question of um I don't even know Vermeer's full name uh, uh Johann, yeah, that's that's probably the that. most obvious one. Yeah, so uh, Vermeer is a painter who does yeah. these really lifelike paintings. I guess if you looked at mm -hmm. them, you know they they just look in, in this in this movie's vernacular, it looks kind of photorealistic. Like the, uh, there's this whole apparently like you know group of people who th who um, suspect that it looks so photorealistic that he must have been using some kind of optical 
trick or optical uh, device a tool in order technology to, yeah yeah technology in some way there's some suspicion mm -hmm. um, and so t uh, Tim th this guy he uh, reads up on all of this and does some research of his own um, and basically comes to the conclusion that maybe what Vermeer did was this mirror trick that allows somebody with apparently no real artistic talent to just put like if they're willing to put a shit ton of hours into uh, kind of um, replicating what they see in the mirror that they could make something as as great as uh, a, a painting by Vermeer himself. Um, and so he undergoes uh, to do this to replicate a Vermeer painting almost exactly. Um, through a lot of uh, time and effort and money. And um, put, uh, I think he puts roughly like three months of solid painting time <laughs> yeah. into this. Like yeah, besides not all including of the research. research. Uh, right, and setup and traveling to uh, to Vermeer City and, and, you know, kind of like figuring out what it would take to do all of this and, and seeing the painting itself at like Buckingham Palace or whatever. Yeah. Um, he, he's and, anticipating quite a bit of, of pushback. Um, right. If he were able to succeed, he's anticipating pushback from the art world about this because of how well we can we can get into this. But sort mm. of the the idea of the artist, the, the the idea that technology might somehow be a um, a, a cheat or a shortcut. Uh, and that it, the 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 idea of maybe using tools would would lessen the um, the view of Vermeer uh, from the uh, artistic community. Um, so he, he's anticipating that if he he goes through with this test, he needs to he needs to do everything he can to do it so that it's it's unassailable. Like you you can't look at what he's done and say, oh well, he he took a shortcut here. Uh, Vermeer couldn't have done that. Um, so he's grinding his own lenses, he's making his own pigments, he's building his room to the exact same size and shape as the room that that they think Vermeer painted his paintings in, uh, recreating the light with uh, with the um, knocks down the wall of a of a warehouse and rebuilds the windows, um, and uh, commissions commissions furniture and carpets and clothing and and stages this scene um, as, as close as he can to the way that Vermeer would have staged it. And what was like, I don't know, what, what did you take away from it or what question did it like kind of incite in you? Well, I, I, the, I think the question that they're skirting over much of the documentary that they don't really ask is, if indeed Vermeer did this, um, if indeed he used this tool and, and instead of being this kind of genius that, or genius in the way that art is often romanticized, where an idea you know, comes to you and you can just unexplainably put something on paper that other people can't do, if indeed he was more of a tinkerer and a technologist, does it lessen the view of the art? Is it still art? Um, and it's, I think it's kind of funny that they don't 
they don't actually come out and ask that question, but that's really the heart of much of the documentary. Um, I really like how the documentary ends with just like we don't see we don't see any kind of reception. We don't see him like <laughs> arguing with any artist. It's just like he painted the thing, and then yeah. the last frame is just like the the painting hanging up in his living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this incredible painting. Um, not to not to to be too much of a spoiler but but there is some success in the story <laughs> yeah yeah and uh yeah i i think and and i think what what is interesting is that like on the surface of it yeah it does feel like somehow somehow it's not as artistic in quotes if if indeed there was but but intellectually, I've sort of come to grow into the idea that the, the production of the thing isn't really that important. Um, and, and, that, and that the idea that, that art has to come out of nothing is, is sort of a, a childhood view of who the artist is that isn't really anybody's actual experience. That there's, there's, there's always a lot of hard work involved and that art is more often a a subtractive process or a, or a process of of slow addition than than some kind of instantaneous inspiration i think that that's how my ideas about this relate to editing in general because i think i think the the show talks about technology but i think you can make the same kind of metaphor about editing or um subtractive creation instead of additive creation mm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think, I mean, part of what I what I wanted to sort of put out there in the world is that I I, I kind of had to grow into the idea that um, that I could be a, maybe a more successful creative than I thought I was, because my experience was not that. I would sit down in front of a paper or whatever media and uh, medium and instantly produce something kind of you know wonderful. It would I would feel guilty if I had to go through several stages of crap to find the the jewel. Mm -hmm. And and I, I I think I had to grow out of that discouragement um, and grow out of that idea that that the artist has to be this. Kind of magical producer of of unexplainable things. I'm drifting a little, but I but the 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 thing that I'm taking from Tim's Vermeer is that um, the production of the thing isn't that important. It's it's the it's ultimately the message itself. Like for me, it it doesn't lessen the idea that this. This is still something that somebody, um, Johannes Vermeer, sat in a room for probably months doing. And that choice to sit there and to paint this particular scene is still a message that he's trying to deliver across you know, time and space with a painting. And uh, yeah. I think that like one thing that uh, struck me uh, during watching Tim's Vermeer that maybe some artists would kind of like brush up against or um, 
or kind of uh, have a reaction, some kind of reaction to was uh, not, not that, not the accusation that Vermeer wasn't a genius, but maybe mm. simply the way in which this painting was uh, gone about. You, um, there, uh, I think of, I think of the painter uh, towards the beginning of the film that Tim shows his work to. And he says, like, uh, yeah, it took me about five hours to do this. And the guy's like, oh, good for you. It only took me 40 years, you know. Um, uh -huh. And I feel like somebody like that might have a reaction to Tim's Vermeer because <laughs> um, because of how not not how many hours he put in, but just how, uh, quote unquote, technical uh, his process was. Um, so it's like in, in, instead of this kind of genuine creative uh, or, you know, those words in, in air quotes. Uh, yeah. Um, instead of those things that they went through, you know, through over years and years and years, uh, Tim, uh, you know, used technology and, and created this this device that did it in a way that for some that some might call like cold or uh that that, <laughs> that kind of sucks the life out of it which uh, yeah like um i i do kind of uh and like i i think i say that because i do kind of feel that way like if uh, i don't know if yeah. somebody i'm not a painter but if somebody was able to create like a novel using I don't know what the equivalent would be, but it maybe it would be like AI yeah. or something like that. I would I'd be like, oh, that's all well and good and interesting, but um, like it doesn't have like the heart that I put into my novel, you know. Um, so I, I feel like there's an edge well, of that yeah, okay. there as well. I I get I get that, and I I definitely um, I definitely have that same feeling, but I I do think that it's also a conflation of art and craft that, um, you know, if, if spending 40 years learning how to do something is what it takes to, to make art, then there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, blue collar laborers out there who would say that they're making art. Yeah. Um, a lot of craftsmen and, and, uh, I think you have to separate the act of making the thing from the thing itself. It, it may certainly lessen the painting as a crafted object, but even then I maybe disagree if it really took him months of painstakingly staring at this thing. Kyle, you mentioned that it doesn't have the heart. And speaking of conflating, I would connect that to Evan's proposition that it's not the production of the thing but the message that's in the thing that matters and in tim's vermeer he puts forward that ultimately he takes no credit for the composition of the piece that he did in fact make a copy using the same mm -hmm. skills that vermeer had but ultimately he still gives vermeer the credit for that particular piece because he simply imitated it or recreated the same message or heart. I mean, he's able to replicate the exact same colors. He's able to essentially do it again. Um, and that, that leads me to the question of 
if that is what is important, which I think that you both seem to come down on the same side of, how do you find the message of the thing or how, what is the message of the thing if it's not the production? You mean by, by the thing, can you like, do you mean by his production of the Vermeer copy? No, like, the I, piece itself, right? The, 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 what shows what somebody would pick up if you were, if you were to pick up Tim's Vermeer and the Vermeer, you would probably have a similar experience as someone who didn't know what went into either piece. When he goes to see the Vermeer at the uh, palace, he has an experience that overwhelms him to the point where he's nearly in tears. It's, it's so much more than anything can ever show you. Seeing these in person just does something to you, right? And this is what I propose art is, is that experience what it's somewhat inexplicable it moves you emotionally uh you know that that is what it does and in some ways that's what this movie does for us um it's not simply uh, yes it is a, a documentation of a process but it has music and it has a plot and it has an uh scenes that are shot with certain lighting and it makes you feel a certain thing and that thing is not just the way that the camera was set, it's a connection of all of those things, but it's also the intent, I think. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for as regards message and as regards heart is when we sit down to make something, um, you know, how does one find the intent? What is, what is the intent that drives, quote, the artist or the technologist to make the thing that they've made? I'll take a stab at this. I, I think... Um, I mean, to, to me, a big part of it is that you, you walk up to these two Vermeers, and I've actually seen a couple in person, and they're quite small, like the size of a computer screen. Um, smaller than you would expect from the amount of detail in them. And they really are a little laboratory of light in a way that is completely unexpected if you're walking around among paintings of the same era or, or any era. You go up to... A, one of his paintings, and there aren't that many of them, but the the subtle grade gradations of light across the surfaces and, a, and the way that the objects in the space are illuminated is, um, it hits your brain in a way that is unlike other paintings and is more like looking at a photograph. And it must have been just a completely magical experience in a time but before photography. And it still is if you, if you imagine that a person made this thing. Um, and whether or not I find the, do I think Vermeer was taking advantage of the idea that people thought, that, that people didn't know he might have used this, uh, say he used technology in the way that the, that the movie portrays. Was he taking advantage of whether or not people thought he could produce these things without that technology? Maybe. But I actually find the paintings cooler thinking of him coming up with this, this system of making the images um, because I find it more relatable. It makes him a, a person and, 
And I, I have not had the experience of just being able to produce art in a, in a magical way with no, um, the, the way that, that the art world has traditionally thought he, he made these paintings. Because they, they don't, I should clarify, there's no, there's no, they've x-rayed them and there's no sketch underneath, there's no underpainting, there's no doodles of him doing it before he did the real thing. We just have the paintings themselves and they seem to be just on the paper with paint and no prep work. So it would take, I mean, it would take something like divine inspiration to, to produce that. Um, and, and that's just not my experience with art. So I, I relate to it more thinking of him as, as a, as an, more of a, more of a process creator. Mm -hmm. I think I drifted from your question, but. No, I think that brings it around but, pretty well. The, I mean, there's also asking, you know, on, on face value is, is this, you know, what is the, what is the message that the paintings come across without any of that, just with the document itself. I mean, there's also a, I don't, I don't know if it's an accidental function of the long process that it must have taken to make these, but there is a, a, a solitude and, and a kind of con contentment to the figures in the paintings. Mm. There's a way that the, the figures are occupying the space very solidly and very, yeah, cont contentedly. This, uh, this is Matt. Hey, Matt. Late, late, late hey, as Matt. usual, but, <laughs> but here. I also got thinking a lot about craft. I don't, I don't see how, yeah. how one could watch that, that movie and not think about it. And I, I think what, what the good stuff, the great stuff, like the art that endures is some kind of... Like, it's not one or the other. Like it's both, right? Like it's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, I think that's yeah, <laughs> maybe that's good. why we're we're jumping back and forth between the two, having yeah, a hard time yeah. separating. Yeah, trying them. to like win, and I agree. Like what he did, and as he acknowledged, like he, like it was Vermeer. Like he didn't do it; he just replicated it. So that's not art. That's like that's skill. That's craft. And. I guess art would come from practicing that craft, honing it, and then moving beyond it, using that craft to to tell a new story. And I think to me, like like art ultimately has to be in some kind of conversation with an audience. It has to be sparked by an audience respond yeah. to advance like a conversation with like it like he could do that to prove to himself yeah, I, I would uh, agree with that but but until he's like saying something new in in relation to other people it's not it's not what we call art yet are, are you saying that you don't think he was saying something new or not necessarily no i mean i think he was he was uh uncovering what how how this thing was said oh i don't 
I don't think he, he was saying mean, something new. I I'm thought you meant Vermeer. No, no, no. I'm saying Tim. Tim. Yeah, the 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 inventor. Uh, Vermeer was. That's why we're still talking about him. Um, <laughs> but and then he was. Tim was uh, kind of excavating the how did he mechanically do this, and. Uh, and then I think if, if Tim wanted to go on to be an artist, he would practice that craft relentlessly and mm -hmm. use the practice, use what comes out of the practice to uh, say something new that then, and probably then in that would uh, probably change the craft, like would, would add some new technology to the craft or, or tweak the craft. Like he wouldn't just do, mechanically, he wouldn't just do the same thing Vermeer did. In order to tell the story, he would probably, you know, mix the paints in a different way or, or refract the light in a different way because he's trying to, to tell something new. So I, mean, I think they play into each other but I can't remember who said impulse or like that, uh, or, or impetus or something, but that matters. Like what the, why, why am I doing this? I feel what Tim did was backward looking, which is fine, yeah. but art kind of looks both ways. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, it does. And I, just, I, I think I, I was just going to, um, to agree with that. I, um, there's this wonderful quote, that um, the teller, who's who was the director of this, and I, teller uh, is as a magi magician is totally silent, but he's in interviews an incredibly um, eloquent uh, <laughs> individual. But he one he directed, of my favorites. One yeah, of my favorites. Yeah, incredible person. Um, but he had this quote about the kind of about the idea of the show that like the the idea that Santa Claus is real is something that children want, but when you when you grow up, when you grow up, you realize that uh, it's much more magical and mysterious that your parents would sneak around at night and pretend that this thing was real, mm. because it, I mean, it's it turns the whole the mystery inward into people and why we do things and to questions mm. that really can't be answered um, in a in a satisfying way, and and in 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 a way, I think yeah what Tim did is sort of maybe he's providing evidence that Santa Claus is this thing that we've come up with, but that doesn't make it any, any less interesting of an idea. Mm -hmm. That I wanted to say in response to what you said, um, that I think that what you said was, uh, really like the clearest, like, I don't know. I've really appreciated that as a final thought at the end of the film, like that uh, mm -hmm. if if Tim wanted to uh, continue what he was doing, that, that this is the way that it would kind of go. And this is how he would become his own artist and, and his future work would be imbued with that meaning, because I was I've been trying to put my finger on why why a painting like Tim's Vermeer can look so beautiful and yet have something to it that uh that isn't full that isn't com that doesn't feel like a complete like uh mm. work by an artist 
you know yeah and mm. even though it looks beautiful it um it is by this kind of fledgling who did this thing and uh it might be more uh like technically exact than any other fledglings like first big project but um at the end of the day it's it's only a reference to its original and um it would uh like matt said he would have to continue on and imbue uh you know emotion and feeling into his future work in order for uh you know that work to kind of stand on its own um and i don't think that tim is going to do that because he is right. a tinkerer <laughs> and he uh you know is fascinating but fascinated by projects and i don't mean to say that he um you know isn't focused and his mind will wander but like i don't think he's interested in becoming an artist he was interested mm -hmm. in this question about vermeer right um and so, I mean, uh, like, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if he used the technology at some point in the future to to make another point about Vermeer or about the technology itself. But I, I don't think that he had he had interest in becoming what we think of as an artist. Um, which that, think, uh, ju just thinking that clarifies all of this for me. And I think related to that, I was struck in the in the film how artists didn't seem at all threatened by what he was doing that some like at least uh, from what i remember like there was the one conversation that, that it was kind of art critics and art aficionados who were like oh this is not real art and artists were like oh yeah no i see he's just using the technology yeah that's what we do right right because mm. the, the thing that art, artists care about is the message like, yeah they're trying right. they just artists weren't at all threatened they're like yeah, okay right. yeah yeah Ultimately, artists are That's trying to use. get across something. I mean, I, art has this. There's there's something really mysterious uh, in, at the heart of art, that like you're trying to get across something that is a little bit beyond language, something that you can't communicate to another person without without whatever medium you're working in, um, because other ways fall short, and you're trying to get that across. And I think that that heart of mystery, I think. Critics or or people who aren't artists themselves often take the idea of that mystery and and put the mystery on the creation of the thing. Like I, I want to see art that I don't know how it was made. I don't I if I if I can look at something and I see how it if if I could do it, then it's not art. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas like the the more the yeah. I think the probably the older I've gotten, the more art I've seen, and the more crafts I've learned. The like I I almost don't care anymore mm -hmm. if if I can look at something and see how it was made because I I almost certainly wouldn't have made it when somebody else did. The uh, the best art hides the technique, right? Like like we don't. I mean, if we're so struck by the art, the be it the music, the painting, the book, like we weren't. It's only after we've like kind of been struck by it, maybe then we'll go back and try to figure out. But you know, like mm. you know, the good writing—you're not thinking, "Why well, I'm reading writing now?" You're just kind of caught up in it. Like good acting—you're not like you know. The more you can see someone acting, the the worse the acting is. 
right? yeah. the, mm. the best art like sublimates the craft like the the craft is hidden like it comes across as effortless when in fact it's but it's the product of like hours and hours and hours and hours <laughs> yeah i do think that i have had and i'm i'm trying to uh you know kind of build a bridge towards editing and and, and writing here but um i've had the feeling yeah. when i'm reading uh a novel that i really admire um this feeling this joyous positive feeling of wonder at the uh at this particular author's like um uh at their ability to craft th this thing that's in front of me that i can't seem to do you know like it's and it, it's a very uh again it's a very positive feeling it's not like a frustration uh, i remember for some reason i have a very distinct strong memory of reading the book writers and lovers by lily king um, which I just found, uh, for some reason, I guess the book itself is about a writer. So that's what kind of like put it top of mind. And it's about like her frustrations in, in trying to kind of cobble together a novel. And it makes it very, very explicit while you're reading it. Like, holy crap, the, like the person behind this narrative is extremely good at putting all of these things together because she's writing a narrative about how it's hard to write a novel and it's and, and it's coming off successfully and so um there is that moment of positivity but uh, of course i do know also the feeling of like starting to read something and thinking about it way too much as a writer and then not getting enjoyment out of it and uh you know i'm i'm trying to you know i'm looking at the paragraphs and thinking about the person sitting behind the typewriter typing these out and uh, like it, it leads to a bad place and i just need to like stop thinking about it in order to enjoy you know the the, the work you're, you're reminding me of an experience that I had. I, I'm not a, a writer per se, or at least by practice, but I'm in the world of architecture. And uh, and there, there, when I was in school, there was a, an uh, architect in particular that I was just really enamored by uh, his projects, um, buildings that were doing things that like they were getting away just just barely as functional buildings, but they were messing with your mind in, in your perception of space and making you more aware of, I don't know, all kinds of things that inspired me uh, in, in ways that I couldn't quite explain. And I was just so, I, I couldn't fathom how a person could craft such a, a delicate thing. And, and I ultimately went to, I went to New York and worked for this fellow. And what I found was a, uh, a man in a room with five or six unpaid interns who were all day churning out dozens of models, little cardboard models, and he would walk over and he would point at one of them and say, that's the direction we're going to go. And then the next day they produced a dozen models based on that one. And then he'd point mm -hmm. at the next one. And it was an iterative process. Like, I mean, the... <laughs> The, the social commentary of having unpaid interns do this work for you aside, 
It was an iterative process, narrowing down a vision towards something that like just struck you in the way that you couldn't quite explain. Like he was, he was giving himself a body of work to edit down to that gem. Um, which was was really instructive to me. I I had had this vision, uh, you know, that of of somebody just like sitting down with a pencil and paper and doodling out this this kind of genius thing. But when in reality, he was taking a huge amount of information and narrowing it down and narrowing it down and narrowing it down to simplify and and amplify the, the message that that he wanted to say yeah and and i i've 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 recently been listening to some podcasts about movie making and i think they um i listened to one about the uh the works uh of stanley kubrick and i mean there's oodles and oodles of of, of words written about his movies because they're they're like these perfect you know, every scene is is exactly, but he he was famous for for um, fifty or sixty or or more takes of of any single shot, right. and uh, and and kind of the many many kind of many critics, film critics have written or or amateur theorists have written about how he was like through all these shots looking for that thing that was existing perfect in his head. Like he was just that much of a perfectionist. But when really you, you asked the people that worked with him, the way he talked about it was that he was doing it over and over again until he saw something that was, that he couldn't quite explain something that had that extra zest. He didn't have the vision in his head. He was giving himself lots of work to edit to, for the thing that, that he could recognize as special. And, and that, that subtractive, kind of subtractive creativity, I, I've, I've been thinking about a lot lately. Because I think it's, it's definitely at odds with the, the way that a lot of people, or at least the way that I grew up thinking about creativity. Yeah, subtractive creativity is a, is a great term. Um... Right now, I'm I'm working on a chapter of a book um, where I'm very aware. Uh, here at the end of the chapter, I'm very aware that uh, I've kind of accumulated a lot more writing than I think is needed <laughs> for the chapter. You know, the this the the dialogue goes on very very long. Uh, there's too many beats. You know, there's just like. It's like a song that has just gone on that has overstayed its welcome, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, and so. And I have had thoughts like this before about how, oh, I want to build up this mountain of stuff so that I can whittle it down. But like now I'm getting to the point where I've done this enough and I don't know, I'm get I'm getting to a point of refinement that I'm starting to question like how, how do you go about whittling down you know like uh <laughs> yeah. we you know we on the podcast we refer to george saunders a lot and saunders has this very general uh description of his editing process where it's like i just read it line by line and when <laughs> things don't sound good i uh 
I change it, you know, and then I move on and then I reread it again and do the same thing. And I'm not that's, sure how helpful that, that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like that's that's all well and good because it, it really puts a writer at ease because it's just like I'm just going to do it intuitively. Yeah. And if I do it enough, if I just read this story over and over and over and over again enough with my intuition kind of like on on, uh, you know, dialed in, then it will become something polished. Yeah. However, I uh, maybe I'm thinking too much, but I've got I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm starting to question that. And I'm thinking like what when I approach a scene, is there something I want to keep in mind? Like, am I trying to just scale back everything that scale it down to what just feels necessary or should I be I don't know focus should I have yeah. a, pri a list of priorities or something like that that I kind of go into it with um so it I, I guess I'm that is all to say that I'm in like a rocky period of development where I'm uh hitting some potential kinks and I don't know yeah. quite how to um to whittle things down and maybe I'm asking a bit too many questions because you don't you still even when you have this mountain of work you still don't know what the what the opus is supposed to look like at the end of the day <laughs> yeah it's hard I I uh I have a similar I mean context context definitely matters I don't really have an answer to your question mm. but I I can mm. um I can sympathize because I was just thinking of I uh, I often go out to I've got a I've got a metaphor for you. I go out. I like rocks. I I I pick up rocks and carry them around and put them in my pocket. And and I, I live in a place with rocky beaches with hundreds and, and thousands of different rocks, all that were dragged here by mile thick glaciers from Canada and then dropped when the glaciers melted. So you've got, I've got all these rocks on covering the beach from a thousand different places that are all like little postcards of geography. But uh, but I'll walk along a beach and I'll pick up the one that is that that jumps out at me, the red rock in the sea of gray, and and put it in my pocket and I'll carry it home. And because that that's the one that jumped out. And then after a couple of months, I realize I've got this bowl of red rocks at home. And none of them are interesting because they're all red. <laughs> and the little gray rock in the bowl is the interesting one. So often the thing that kind of tickles my mind, I have to step back and wonder, like, is this, is this interesting because of this other stuff that may not at first blush seem interesting? Is this interesting kind of set off from the 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 sea of things that that don't jump out as much um yeah hmm. yeah knowing knowing how to cut is hard i'm in this i think mini season of my life where i'm kind of rediscovering or maybe even like discovering really for the first time craft so this film was kind of right on time because i've been thinking a lot hmm about uh, what in life is knowable and what is actually a mystery. And, and I, I think I'm moving from a place of like 
feel like a fetishizing mystery of like, oh, there's just so much mystery in life. And like so much of art and life is a mystery. Mm. And, and, I, and I think I'm not alone. Like you can get hung up just fetishizing mystery. Just like, ooh, like, but it, it's not mystery really. Like, the, or what we think is mystery it's just an illusion, like the pen and teller. Like it's not actually magic; it's a craft that they have honed to perfection and hid, uh, which makes it yeah. more impressive. Like Teller says, like that, uh, and that's their. I think there's more to life that is that is knowable and studyable and and replicable. And when we practice that enough we develop our intuition for some of the the more esoteric stuff or uh, then we can intersect with that layer that is more you know mysterious but i, I think too often I, maybe one of the marks of the amateur is just aiming for the mysterious right away and trying to capture it without having any sense of how mm -hmm. to to get there uh, like like magicians will study human behavior and work on tricks for years, like literally years before they do it. And then we see it and we're just like, whoa, like mystery, <laughs> magic. Yeah. No, that's, that's years and years of detailed observation of human and, and trial and error and practice. And, and then they, and then actual mechanical replicable technique that they have hidden masterfully and and it is magic and mysterious but it's also knowable and replicable and like right like right art is like the intersection teller, of all that yeah the pen and teller kind of they their whole show is about pointing out that that oh it's wonderful ultimately yeah. like like their thesis is that you know these are tricks like these are we're not pretending that we're doing things that are physically impossible yeah the real mystery here is that we can we can kind of show you how it's done and your brain still goes whoa i i like i can intellectually understand how that happened but my brain is is telling me that it's not possible and that that kind of turning the mystery inward to people and how they think is i find that right. much more right much cooler than than i think the way the sort of superficial mystery of 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 the technical the technical question of how something was done. Yeah, I mean, it's much more impressive. Yeah, to, I mean, as, as work with as an example for for any listeners that sorry to sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, as an example for any listeners that haven't kind of seen their work, they do this. There's the famous cups and balls routine where you've got three cups and. And you're kind of shuffling them around and, and showing that something is underneath them or not underneath them and letting the audience guess where it is. And it's traditionally done with sleight of hand where you would kind of would you uh, secretly load the cup and then sweep the ball away. And like the ball is never where you think it is because they're they're controlling it in a way that you don't expect. Well, Penn and Teller do a routine or version of it with with clear plastic cups so that you can see everything that's in the cups when it's in the cups. And, and you can, and because of that, you can see when they have 
they have used sleight of hand to load the cup with the balls that they're about to present. And it's still, because they're so good at it, it still looks like the, the balls just appear in a flash. They're, they're showing you this is how we're doing it. And they're even, their patter is telling you, and now we're loading the balls in the cup. And it's such, it's so delightful because they're giving you everything, you know, on the superficially, they're giving you everything you need to understand what they're doing. But your brain still looks at it and goes, no, I, I don't believe it. Have you seen the show Fool Us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I just got put onto it last night. And yeah, it's, I mean, they have magicians come on and the other magicians try to fool Penn and Teller, like do the trick and then trick, you know, fool it. Like even Penn and Teller don't know how they did the trick. Some of them do, most of them can't. I mean, there's two things. I mean, it's all impressive. There's the delight, <laughs> the genuine delight Penn and Teller feel when they are fooled. They're, they're just delighted. They, like, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, like that, that they're, there's more than meets the eye, even to their eyes. They just, they're delighted. And there is a moment in which they are like, the, the magician has done the trick and then uh, Penn, because Teller doesn't talk, right? So Penn is telling them, like giving them like the debrief. And he is like, just telling them what they did in a way that they can understand, but we don't have any idea what they're talking about. It's like, it's just the like, how deeply hidden the craft is, is just wonderful. That they can like talk to each other back and forth and basically Penn will be like, yeah, I saw what you did. You, you know, you hid the thing in your, in your hand and then you moved it and then but without saying any of that and in a way that the other magician will pick up on right away and be like, ah, shit, you got me. And the viewer has no idea what they're talking about, but they know mm -hmm. what they're talking about. And it, it, mm -hmm. I mean, that only comes from years of practice, which is a kind of yeah. editing, like just, it just comes from hours and hours and hours of editing. Yeah. I, and I, I'm trying to, to turn this back to writing and the, like the, just. Well, that uh, description of the show, Evan, of the, uh, of the balls and the cups, like that directly, that immediately reminded me of the sequence in Tim's Vermeer where we're watching him paint. <laughs> and it's this sequence of complete, like, it's completely uh removing you know the veil off of the artistic process and just being like this guy sat here for three months straight and just painted every day and like if that was the entire movie it would have moved me you know <laughs> like it, it i was just yeah. like the, uh, i don't really care how much experience he has or or what his artistic motivations are but because in this moment i am just uh, I'm moved, I'm impressed, I'm in awe of uh, this person's effort. And even though that was also the sequence in which I realized that he was operating, even though he was going to achieve a, what I could tell would be a beautiful product, he was doing it for his own particular reasons that are 
vastly inherently different from like say me and my own art um but uh it, it kind of like popped things into uh into perspective and allowed um a moment of connection a moment of sympathy between like audience and 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 the film um and if if we if every if every form of art if every medium of art can have some way of connecting an, a, an aspiring artist to the experience of you know watching a grand artist work that i think they should because it's not going to ruin anything it's going to produce that feeling of awe um that you get when you see a a, a person dedicating that kind of time and effort yeah and i think in a weird way it's sort of freeing to be shown that maybe these people that you think of as grand artists maybe they just got there through a lot of effort and hard work and they weren't somehow different or better i mean they probably are in some ways different than you but the practice and the repetition of it that's something that anybody can do if they dedicate themselves to it that the, I don't know. I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging, depending <laughs> on your personality. But uh, for me, it's 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 kind of encouraging because it's at least a door you could walk through. Um, you know, since we've doubled around to Tim's Vermeer a little bit, uh, I kind of as we stepped more towards magic and uh, these other topics, we've kind of touched on. I w- I was left sort of a little troubled. Um, by our resolution that uh, the painting itself was not art um, based on the fact that it was a replica or a copy, um, in part because that suggests that anything that replicates anything can't be considered art, um, including artistic processes that that we Mm -hmm. consider artistic. Um, I also felt as though in some ways it disregarded the idea that um that twofold i twofold um one that the movie was the art not the painting um mm-hmm. that that they set out to create something and our assumption is that what they're trying to create is a painting but we're well aware of the construct that existed even before the painting. And we're aware of the fact as in like the, the room that the painting was made in. And then two, that the room was made within a movie and that that movie was shot. Um, And if we allow that an artist can be someone who actually directs these unpaid interns um, based on their choices that they're making, then the oversight and artwork is, you know, is tremendous you know the amount of the amount of work and thought that has gone into just the visual spectacle of presenting what is essentially like a stage on a stage right is um if i were to write a novel that had a a a play in it did i set out to make a play or did i set out to write a novel that has a play in it um are does do we need to divorce those two um i don't think so and i also think that when we left this topic earlier too, we kind of, we've been moving towards this idea that like the practice, the dedication, the effort 
is what makes the art. The art is the amount of time that passes. And I would urge you to ask yourselves the question of at what point, if it is a matter of effort that makes art, is a person allowed to call themselves an artist? Because we've already suggested that the fledgling does not make art in the way that a grand master does. But that suggests that there's some sort of experience point or our account that one can match to actually begin making art. And I would put forward that I don't think that that's a successful way of evaluating it. Just because at some point you're going to have different opinions and it's going to become this nasty relative tangle of webs. Um, so what, what I would ask, given that, is to return to this idea of heart, to this idea of message, and to the idea of inspiration, which I think doesn't necessarily, and I don't necessarily believe that we need to distinguish art from anything else, because as Evan suggested at onset, there's a bunch of blue-collar workers who could consider the fact that the plumbing that they do is pure art. We use the phrase all the time, like it's just like a graceful execution of X or Y. And we want to have these words that differentiate the two, and it's just kind of moot, because I think that the point that Evan made about Santa Claus and about the parents who go about becoming Santa Claus, and about the internal mysteries that exist in someone that drive them to create something, some piece, right? Whether it's a play as Santa Claus, whether it's a, a room with a, a Dutch girl and some strange mat wigged man, like people s set about to do things with a certain impetus, and that drive to do it is to me what makes art art. And so I ask Evan specifically, well, but the I would group disagree only slightly. Okay. Sorry. What what, <laughs> I, what what I'd ask, and then you can totally disagree with me, is okay. is beyond your disagreement. What what is it that you find mysterious in human beings? What is it that I find mysterious in human beings? That is a huge question. Um, <laughs> I. I find it, I find it mysterious that our, our minds are these limited containers that are just seeking to understand an infinite, an infinite amount of information and filtering that in a way that we perceive as everyday life consciousness, um, that, that we're taking and, uh, anything that we come across and, and trying to contain it and the, the disconnect between that vast amount of information and the container that it's, is trying to reach around it uh, and still trying to fit more in, like we're always seeking to understand, like that's what I find mysterious. Mm. Um, my disagreement with your description of art is only in that I don't believe somebody's internal mysteries and the things that they wonder about and the beauty that they see in the world is art unless they are trying to communicate it to somebody else. Like the, what makes it art is that you've got something that you, that you see about the world or about yourself that is hard to explain in... hard to explain and you're trying to show it to somebody else and see what they'll make of it like here's this this idea 
what do you think? And, uh, and so I think that's the distinction between art and craft for me. Like a, you know, a plumber with his pipes can be both, but unless he's taking his craft and showing it to somebody else and saying, what do you make of this? Because I think it says something strange about how I am in the world or, or how you are, then, then maybe it's not art. I don't know. What uh, hmm. what's the others think? I I just had uh, like one little response is that I like in my description of uh, of of the the documentary, I never meant to imply that like his work wasn't art or or anything like that. I think that like the only big like thing that you really can't do is say that something isn't art. I think that you can probably <laughs> get away with saying anything is art. Um, uh, but uh, like, and it's important, like, and it, I guess it just kind of becomes art when you say it is. Uh, <laughs> but I I think that I, the, the only thing that was a, a question in my mind and that I was trying to negotiate was like, um, what, uh, why do some things make me feel a more of a, an emotional response than others? And um, like to go back to Tim's Vermeer, like I I think that uh, the original Vermeer painting is going to inspire a lot more emotion in me because of its age and its context of creation. Whereas, or like, I mean, Tim's Vermeer inspires a lot in me, but it's in a completely different way. It's for all of the reasons that are talked about in the movie and that we've said about the movie. Um, it's it's inspiring for uh, for all of the efforts that Tim was putting into it. Um, but I perhaps I relate to Vermeer himself more than I do Tim. Maybe maybe that's kind of like what it is at the end of the day and i think that i can be inspired by a like a plumber's work um however i'm going to be uh i'm going to be less inspired by it if the plumber themselves is not kind of uh as evan said like trying to convey something to me by their work or um if they don't call it art then it's not going to really be called to my <laughs> attention that's like a big thing um, you know, a part of, a part of art is some kind, it's enmeshed in the so social fabric. So if nobody cares about this group of pipes under my house, then I'm just going to use that group of pipes to get my water. And I'm not going to go downstairs and like admire it as, you know, uh, a piece, um, itself. Uh, there's some social obligation that goes into, uh, getting you in front of the art, you know, um, to begin with that's a very important point like the johannes vermeer's art is presented as art in galleries it's it's put in front of you we're primed to see it as a message from somebody it's a, a message from someone 200 years ago to me and 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 it's their vision and it's part of a time that has passed and uh yeah, so we're, we're primed to see it as as art um, because of the context. I that's an interesting question whether whether all of a sudden we found uh, 
paintings by Julius Vermeer, his long lost brother, <laughs> and they were all the same. And Johannes just copied his brother's work. <laughs> <laughs> how how you feel about this stuff? Yeah, context for sure matters. Um, I don't think Tim's Vermeer, the documentary, presented the work that Tim made as a message from Tim to the world or to anybody in particular other than himself. He was trying to convince himself about this technique. Um, I, I, I'm not sure there's embedded philosophy there in the thing. In the thing, so it's easy not to look for it. Well. I'm wondering now if the art. whole thing, I mean, the, the documentary, the film is art. Uh, that, um, that, yes. Um, yes. And now I'm thinking of from Tim, Tim's whole, was what he did some kind of performance art that was captured on film. Mm. Uh, and the, the painting was just kind of the, the, you know, the, the, the cap. The, the vehicle, but the whole thing was really the art project. Uh, I think it could be, although at no point did Tim say that's what he was doing, but I think he could have. Uh, but I, I think in some ways it's not art because Tim, like, never once claimed. I mean, he several points in the film was like, I'm not an artist, I'm not a painter, I'm a, I'm a you know, technology guy, I'm an inventor, I'm a tinkerer. But um, but I'm remembering that there was about like if, if he had that, claimed it was art, would you believe him? Uh, I would have given. I mean, I'd have to take that seriously. I'd have to take his claims. I couldn't just dismiss it. I mean, if he was like, "I'm doing art. This whole thing is it." Um, yeah, you know, I think it matters. I think it, like intent matters, and and what am I setting out to do matters. How do I want you to see this? I'm in some ways conditioning you, the viewer, to see this in a certain way. I'm setting up your expectation that I'm now going to make art. Well, now I'm looking for art. I'm more likely to see art. I mean, that can't be discounted. Uh, I mean, when, like, the first... When the film starts with him being like, I'm not a painter, I'm like, well, okay, this guy's not a painter. So he's doing something other than painting. <laughs> um, so I'm looking for I'm looking for everything else other than the painting. Looking for like the process that leads to the paint being applied. But he's not painting. He's by his own <laughs> definition replicating, just like tinkering, inventing. Uh, but, uh, that, like two thirds of the way through the film, uh, he was exhausted, like physically exhausted. Uh, and I, I think one of the other takeaways is what a physical act any kind of creation is. Like, it, like we kind of think of art as this, like, we're inspired divinely or from whatever, and then it's like <laughs> of the mind and spirit and all, but like he was physically exhausted. I'm sure Vermeer was probably physically, like, art is a physically taxing thing. Not to like mention the, act of the creation. young woman sitting there day after Not day. Not to mention the, yeah, the mm. model sitting there. Uh, and and uh, I imagine it was like somebody asked him, probably Penn was doing most of the interviewing, like, would you, if this wasn't being filmed, would you stop now? And he was like, yeah, I probably would stop now and do something else. <laughs> so there is something about the audience that matters in, in the creation of art, like that 
when it was if it was just a matter of him figuring out how the thing worked for himself for his own intellectual curiosity if it was just about that he would have stopped when he basically figured out how it worked but when it the idea yeah. of a audience was introduced it, it there was something more it became something more that that mm-hmm. i think is the point at which had he claimed it was art, that's the point at which I would have crossed over with him and been like, okay, now it is art. Yeah. I think, that, that point, I'm thinking out loud. You're, you're I, could, I, could be, I could change my mind in five minutes, but that's in my thinking out loud <laughs> right now. That's where I'm at. Oh, I, I came along with you. I mean, at that point, I, I'm invested in the things that make him want to do this thing, that this... this um, yeah, taxing thing that ultimately will leave him with this physical object that may or may not be wanted by anybody. Like he's, it is, it is a performance for sure. Um, I don't want to lose Eric's. I don't want to lose track of Eric's other question about what is mysterious. What was it? What what do we find mysterious in people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think for me, it's, I mean, there's a lot, but one of the main things is what it is that people connect, what and who people connect with and to and, and why. Like that there's something mm-hmm. that is ultimately mysterious to me about that. Um, and that said, though, that I'm in, in this season again where I'm exploring the craft of that kind of connection. That that the, it, there is a, a at the the kind of the final. I don't know if it's like a, a mile of distance between two people or a person in the thing. Like craft can bring you, uh, you know, five thousand two hundred and seventy-five feet. But then there's the the last five feet are mysterious, but craft can bring you a long way. And I think for myself, I've got hung up on the mystery mystery of the last five miles and just been like, ah, it's all a mystery. No, the last five Mm -hmm. miles are, but through craft, you can get a lot of the way there. Uh, Mm. And then once you're that close, Mm. I mean, then like mystery, then it's just mystery, but there is a greater chance of mystery taking hold from five miles away than, or from five feet away than from a mile away. I think the last, the last five miles are just why you did the thing in the first place. Like what, what made you want to walk that far to begin with? I, I, I like to, uh, to think of it in this, a slightly different way, which is like, or at least recently I've been thinking of it in this way, uh, instead of distance, like maybe 95% of it is craft. And then the other 5% is kind of like the, it's kind of like the universe, um, like intervening in your uh, perfect idea of craft, you know, like it's, it's stumbling upon the thing that, you wouldn't have stumbled upon unless, you know, this random event didn't occur. You know what I mean? Um, 
so which uh that just makes me feel better because then like uh i just know that if i if i go the length with you know following the craft and i just kind of let uh that then life will happen in the course of things and uh my craft will shape it but then you know the random occurrences of life will also you know have their way with it because I, like I i too i too can't really figure out those last five miles <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've been studying this little Chinese methodology that I mentioned a while back, the Koshi Tenketsu or something along those lines, the four-part Chinese storytelling method. And uh, there's I've been reading Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle over the course of the last couple nights, and his sections are maybe eight to ten short paragraphs with a header of like unknown titling followed by uh, usually somewhat funny but certainly very adept point or story moment that gradually progresses you through an investigation of the atomic bomb. And I can't help but overlay this method of storytelling on top of it to see how he sets up each little passage where he introduces you to something. Here I am. That's what it is. Then he establishes the scene with this kind of lengthy or protracted moment with the character and the surrounding characters, perhaps introducing something else. And then in the last little moment in that paragraph, in those last five miles, he just twists you and the, the scene comes into clarity and then he walks out. And it's really an incredible book as far as watching that happen again and again, even though you know that each section kind of holds the same structure. And I think I've been finding as I try to execute on that structure, not in trying to imitate him, but in trying to just understand the structure itself, um, there is a, an effort on my end to first provide a point of clarity just to identify where I am and who I'm with, then to see what that means for a second. And then as I get further along and further along, I begin to have these sort of doubts about, is it even possible to twist this? Is it possible to change this in a way that actually surprises me? Or am I just going to write another scene with a man at a bar? And, and invariably, I get to a point where the establishment section, the meat of the writing, has run its course, and I'm left kind of blank. I'm out of ideas. I've written a thing to a place where I don't really have anything else I want to add. And then I just kind of ask a question, and maybe this is Kyle's universe, right? I just ask a question, like, what could change about this? Or like, what would twist this? What would, and, and nothing that exists to date, nothing that's been in me to date that has been fueling this is the right fuel to twist. You can't use that fuel. And sometimes it builds alongside you where you're like, oh, there might be an idea in that. But more often than not, I'm sit there kind of with myself just asking the unconscious, like what would actually surprise you? And then an answer is sort of provided. Um, and that sensation of an answer suddenly being provided is like, oh shit. Uh, you know, it is the surprise. It is the, it is the unexpected. And then that, 
gets put down and I try and get out of there as fast as I can as soon as it's down, right? And that's been like my sequence of writing for the last 15 or 20 days. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I it, it is really interesting to consider Vermeer and specifically Tim's practice because I think in some ways Tim is trying to become Vermeer. He's trying to say, if I follow the exact same steps as this other person, will I create the exact same thing? Is Vermeer like me? You know, we've talked a little bit about the fact that Evan feels a sort of like familiarity now or a groundedness or a humanness to the sensation that like the artist or the creator of art need not be divinely inspired right away, like from onset. The suggestion that when they first begin stroking or brushing across a canvas, that they've already got this thing in their head, right? You're, uh, who are we talking about? Stanley Kubrick, right? The idea that the act is actually to persist until you have something to Matt's last five miles, and at that point, you're granted the thing that you're surprised by. That seems to me the kind of like the essential element of creating art. And that is why, to a degree, I think that the craft, there is the craft of painting and there is the art of painting. And the art of painting is something that you don't necessarily get. You don't get to have it. You get to pursue it. You get to look for it in things. You get to try to spend time with the craft in order to let the art flood you for a second. And therefore, it becomes something that someone isn't necessarily. They aren't like the bringer of art. They're the one who allows art or who becomes mm. a space for art um, in that it, ex it exists outside of the human um, or exists in a place in the human that they don't themselves have access to. One can't just sit down to say, now I will create art. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah that I, I had another note like, written uh, the the human as instrument like we, like and i think that at least when you were talking that that came to mind like like the that we that the technique can facilitate the bringing of art yeah and and that it it does exist out there and in in here cuz humans are permeable like what are the like Technique craft can can tune in that the artistic frequency that is that exists like a radio wave like in us and and around us and through us. Well, Vermeer uses the term machine. Uh, you know, can, like the question is like, can I be this? Can I just become a machine? Uh, so that anybody can kind of any human can kind of plug into this machine and, and and make themselves a part of it and produce what Vermeer produced. This remi uh this reminds me of something that Evan won't know what we're talking about, but it reminds me of um your uh, your story, Matt, in the hair girl, uh, with the with the instruments made from bones. You know, like mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if your story is saying anything about, uh, you know, towards this, uh, towards this idea of like process, and if you change a certain part of the process, you know, does it dial you into something particular? You know, does does using, uh, does using a particular instrument, uh, a very particular instrument, does that, um, 
does that change something and put you on a path towards creating a particular thing that would otherwise not be created? Yeah, I think in that story, the guy was trying to align his whatever was inside him that is artistic. He was trying to align that with something outside him that he felt was artistic and doing it in very demented ways. Uh, but <laughs> um, it, through through the instrument, uh, that possibly is part of this artistic process of like. We feel this frequency inside us, and then there's this like frequency around us, and how do we get those in line and then ideally connect those with the frequency in someone else? That sounds like very new agey when I say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that's something, something like what we're trying to do. And there's instruments involved in doing that. And we are those instruments also. Yeah, and part of what we're saying is making me think that like part of the lesson is that the practice of doing the craft is is increasing your your opportunities to be inspired to find that that mm. that extra like I mean you can you can get a metal filling and tilt your head just the right way and maybe <laughs> your head turns into a radio and you hear the <laughs> the rock and roll coming right to your brain, or you can just turn on a radio. Like we're, we're like the act of, of, of sitting down and, and making the models and sifting through them for the inspiration is you're just, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the shortcut in a, in a way I can, I can wait for, for something to just come along and hit me out of the blue, or I can give myself a lot of things to look at and ask questions about them. Definitely. I think, I think that goes hand in hand with, um, I don't know, a, co a commitment to the process. Uh, just, just that commitment opens you up to the opportunities, you know, I think, uh, yeah. that's a big part of it. I mean, if, if, if Eric hadn't been sitting down, uh, and if he had, uh, writing that story about the guy at the bar, um, if he hadn't written out that story and exhausted his ideas completely, he wouldn't have been in the position where he would ask himself, like, okay, what's going to surprise me next? Um, and yeah. he would not have ultimately had, you know, the turn of ideas that led to whatever it led to. And I wonder, Vermeer, like, how many paintings he painted, how many, like, walls he looked at with light coming through the window before he was like before you saw it in a different way and it was like mm. i want to capture it like that or or is there or like i'm tired of painting light on walls that looks like that is there a way <laughs> to see light differently and then he started playing around with mirrors but it you know it's very unlikely that he just like sat down one day and was like i'm inspired to like use mirrors to capture light in innovative ways. Like probably was like, oh, and how, much, how much of it was just a product of boredom and drudgery? Like, I can't fucking paint another painting like this. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm going to go crazy. I have to try something new. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the more I, I like, uh, what was it? Like increase craft helps us increase our opportunities for inspiration or something like, like mm -hmm. that. I think that is... <laughs> Uh, 
good to remember like that when it feels like drudgery which it does to me now <laughs> and which it will to any artist at some point like the more drudgery you produce like the drudgery can push you like mm -hmm. thinking of like how Saunders would phrase it, pay attention to the drudgery. Like, what is it about it that is drudgery? And mm. how could you, mm. how could mm. it, how could you use it to do something else? Like, allow yeah. that, allow it to happen, but it can't happen if you don't do it. Mm. You don't practice it. And part, part of it is getting over the, the hurdle, the psychological hurdle of not seeing things that you might end up throwing away as a waste. Right. Right. I, I, that's, I mean, that's something that I've struggled with is, is like, <laughs> I've had to get over the idea that if it doesn't come out perfect, like it's, it's worth finishing anyway. Mm. Um, because like, I mean, I, I can, I can sit down and, and make up and come up with uh, a bunch of ideas that might not be used, or I can stare at a blank wall waiting for the one to come along and both are wasting time, but in different ways, but the one is giving me material that I can evaluate and make better. And the other is just staring at a wall. <laughs>